And so I want to talk to you today about, I want to make, I want to, I want to walk us through this miracle, but I also want us to see how it applies to us. Because in reality, we're not that much different from this fellow. Um, and I want to see that today. So we're going to jump right in. And the first point in here, really just two main points and three little subpoints under those. The first one is the plight of mankind, and that is deafness. How many of you know we are some deaf people? Amen. When it comes to hearing from the Lord. So the deafness of this man brought to Jesus pictures um, really our spiritual condition and the spiritual condition of all mankind. It just jot down Acts 28, 7. Um, and you say, well, how does, how does this deaf and mute guy relate to me? Well, because as is illustrated, his deafness had serious ramifications to this guy in three areas. So I want to, I want to talk about those three areas. And, and I want to show you how we're not too far off. The, the first area is, his, is isolation. Isolation. Um, think about this. And people have asked this before. Would you rather be blind or deaf? I know you'd rather be neither. Yeah. Right? I think of poor Helen Keller, who was both. What a, what a miracle story she was. Um, but a blind person, they are isolated, but you can communicate with them, right? You can speak with them. But it was nearly, especially in Jesus' day, it was nearly impossible to communicate with a deaf person. This man was truly isolated to himself. As far as we know, there was no such thing as a, a codified sign language in Jesus' day. Now, I'm sure, like anything else, they figured out a few basic signs, so basic communication could be had. But how did this, this man was not only isolated from his community, as a result of that, he was isolated from God. Even reading would be difficult to teach. So, an oral communication was impossible. And his written communication would have been very slow. And we don't even know if they had sign language. So, a deaf person remained isolated in much of their life there was no mass media. There was no science of lip reading, although I'm sure he figured out how to do some of that. No, no sign language. So how does that relate to us? <laughs> the natural man, when I say the natural man, the unsaved person, they are deaf to God's Word. Is this true? You, you cannot hear the Word of God. And now he has the ability to see God's revelation in nature. Romans chapter 1, and he has no excuse, but he can't hear. He cannot hear from God. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says this, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. When we are dead in our sins, listen to me, beloved, we are deaf to the voice of God. We are deaf to the Word of God. And let me tell you, in 23 years just here, uh, I have seen this over and over again. People that have sat in the same pew for years and have heard the same messages that everybody else heard 
and you are deaf to the Word of God. It has no impact in your life whatsoever. You endure the sermons so you can get the Sunday lunch. But you can't hear. You have no ability to hear the Word of God. You are living in isolation from God. Here's a second ramification of this poor man being deaf, and that was ignorance. Ignorance. Since he lived in a day before mass media, um, including books. I mean, he couldn't even go to the library and check out a book. This guy would have known very little about most areas of life. He would have been very behind socially, educationally, in every way you could imagine because he was alone. No television, no newspaper, no magazines, no encyclopedias. None of that was available to him to read and to compensate for what he could not hear. Listen to this, folks. This poor man lived in intellectual darkness. And here's the reality. Stop thinking about this for him if you take the Bible glasses off. Because of that, he probably very likely had no idea who Jesus was. Now remember, this is still a Gentile, predominantly Gentile area. So Jesus had only been there one time. With the, you know, Tyre and Sidon were the second time that Jesus went to the Gentile area. He was in Decapolis before with the man of Gadara. He'd only been there once. And even though the, the cleansed uh, demoniac from, from Gadara spread the news of Jesus quite well, because this man couldn't hear, it's highly likely he had no idea who Jesus was. Does that make sense? Because he lived in an intellectual Ignorance. He had no way to get the news of the day. You say, how does that relate to us? Well, in a natural man, jot it down, Ephesians 4.18. Listen to these words. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Listen to this. Because of the blindness of their heart. What is Ignorance. It's just not knowing, right? Just not knowing. And this man, think about this for a minute. He lived in a state of not knowing. What a horrible existence. Can I tell you something? Before we come to Jesus Christ, there is so much we don't know. Is that true? We live in a perpetual state of spiritual ignorance. That's what Paul said in Ephesians 4.18. Because of the ignorance that is in them, they had a blinded heart. They could not, not only could they not hear God, they couldn't see God's truth. They couldn't see. They lived in a, in a complete isolation. And because of that, we live in ignorance of who God is. And you know what, folks? I'm going to tell you the truth. That can happen sitting right here in this church. I fear for our young people that are growing up in church. I see so many of them that this describes them. They live in isolation and ignorance. They've heard the word, but they've not heard the word. They've seen the truth, but they've not seen the truth. Do you know what I'm saying? 
Oh, we need, this is a wonderful opportunity for all of us to say, does this describe me today? And if it does, I say to you, behold, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you must repent and obey the gospel and believe that Jesus Christ has died for you, was buried for you, and was resurrected for you, and is sitting at the Father's right hand for you right now. There's one more really important I word that describes this man and describes us before Jesus, and that is inability. Inability. In addition to being deaf, this man also had tremendous difficulty speaking. And it makes sense, right? If you can't hear the words, you don't know how to correctly form them. I think of that young lady when I was a little boy. He probably could speak like Jeanette did through stammering words that were very hard to understand. Um, but his, his, his words did not work well. And you know what? That's not unlike us before we come to Christ. We cannot communicate with God. We have no ability. Um, we might make sounds and efforts and do religious things, but we have no relationship to God. We have no ability to have a relationship to God. I've said this many times before, but I want you to hear it again. We must always put our stake into this truth. And it is this, your consistent behavior reveals your true core beliefs. Let me say that again. Your consistent behavior reveals, exposes your, what you truly believe. And the rest of it is just religious noise. Did you hear that? The rest of it is just religious noise. Think about this poor man. He, all he could do is make noise that made no sense. He had, did he have any ability to help himself? No, I still, say, I still say he didn't even know who Jesus was. Even though Jesus was really famous, he had no way to know. And we are all that way before we come. You might know about Jesus, but you don't know him. And I implore you today to repent and believe that gospel and come to know him. This man was helpless to help himself just like we are. And, and don't miss this. Um, how did he get to Jesus? He didn't even know about Jesus, like at all. He lives in isolation and ignorance and, and inability. How's he, how, does, how does he end up before Jesus? Look at your text. Someone called they. Would you assume it was a group of friends, right? Or acquaintances, maybe family. Right? Jesus shows up. The, the Gadarian, now made well, has become an evangelist, has done a great job. So there's crowds of people come, and they bring this. They, somebody gets a hold of this guy who is isolated, ignorant, and has, is, is, has no ability to help himself. And what do they do? The Bible says they bring him to Jesus, and they brought him with a request. Notice that in verse number 32. The Bible says, And they begged him to put his hand on him. He, they wanted Jesus to touch this guy. It, again, it took his friends to bring him to Jesus. It reminds us of the man that 
was let down through the roof, right, to get to Jesus early on in Jesus' second year of ministry, as we see it in Mark. And notice it was the faith of his friends that brings this man to wholeness. Yes, the, 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 the last time I preached this last week, it was whose faith that healed that little girl? It was the faith of the mother, not the little girl. It's not this man's faith. It's the faith of his friends. Oh, there's such power in that today. Who are you praying for? Who are you being that friend to today? Oh, that God would put someone's name or face on your heart right now. And that this week, I'm going to bring that person to Jesus. We heard a beautiful testimony this morning in our discipleship group about someone sharing the gospel with their, with their boss. Right? That's what we do. Be that friend that brings people who are isolated, ignorant, and have, are, are unable to help themselves to the only one who can. Amen? And oh, I'm going to tell you something. When you bring them to Jesus, Jesus can do what nobody else can. Amen? So true. We gotta, we've got to re-believe that today. Now here's the second part. I want to look at the power of the master. The power of the master for del is deliverance. And we see this beginning in verse 33. And he took him aside from the multitude and he put his fingers in his ears and he spat and touched his tongue. I just put on that one um, the method of deliverance. I just put, it was contrary. Almost contrary to common sense, wasn't it? There's some strange doings here. Uh, I think we Sunday schoolified this story <laughs> about what's going on here. But this is weird. But I think there's purpose behind everything that's unfolding in this one little verse. What's the first thing that happens? They bring this guy to Jesus. He doesn't even know who Jesus is. You know, he's standing before him and, 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 and his, whoever they is are begging Jesus to put his hands on them. Now we can assert from the text that there's a, probably a pretty good group of people gathered, right? Kind of, kind of seem that way for the next phrase. So again, wherever Jesus goes, this Gadarian has done a great job of evangelizing. All these Gentiles are coming to see Jesus. They bring this guy and they said, please just touch him. Right? And what's the first thing Jesus does? Takes him aside. I love that. He takes him aside from the multitude. Why would he do that? Okay, he definitely wanted some privacy. Why do you think that might be? Why would Jesus want to get this guy off by himself away from the multitude? <laughs> you know what, Angie? I never considered that. I'm going to put you on my sermon research team. That was a great point. I wish it would have been mine. <laughs> I don't know if you heard her, but it made a ton of sense. The guy's never heard anything before. And when, he, when Jesus opens his ears, if he's in this multitude, especially what, what do you think the multitude's going to do when the guy can hear? Cheers. Yeah, there's going to be all these kind of cheers and hooting and hollering. going to scare this guy to death. 
I never thought about that. That's pretty good. Any, any other thoughts why he takes him away from the crowd and gets him in a more private place? He was also still trying to pump the brakes. I did think of that one. Thank you, Jessica. He's still trying to pump the brakes on his uh, popularity. We're going to see that at the end. Um, <laughs> he's trying to hold. And he doesn't want people to look at him as a, as a political figure because he's bringing a personal kingdom, an invisible kingdom, not a physical one yet. So he's trying to pump the brakes. He's trying to, he's trying to keep his popularity and his, right, from exploding too fast and also from going in the wrong direction, making him king or ruler. Here's another, any other thoughts on why we pull this guy aside? Hmm? That is so right. Brian is correct. This is personal. Now, what did the friends want him to do, Jesus to do to this man? Put his hands on him. Why do you think that is? Well, they certainly had the faith that if Jesus touched him, this guy's going to hear and talk. But, but I'll go back to what Angie said. He's never heard a thing before in his life. He hadn't even heard his own voice. Right? And Jesus, I think here, wants, and, and, and what he does, is going, I think is going to play it out for us. He wants this man to know who is doing what and the result of that. Because he can't what? Here. Right? Now, now, albeit, these friends come and they specify to Jesus the method that they wanted the Lord to use. And Jesus did not tie himself to their wishes or to anyone else's. Do you notice, I read this this week, I don't know if it's quite true. I'm thinking not. But in one commentary this week I read, it said that Jesus never healed anybody the same way twice. That's recorded. I don't know if that's true. But Jesus did not always use the same method. And I think there's value in that for us today. Because if he did, we would go after the method and not the man behind the method. Right? You don't need a method. You need a man. You need the God man to touch you. Amen? And it's not, it's not methodo methodological. Is that a word? Methodological? I'm glad I'm not a Methodist. I can't say that. You don't need a methodological healing. Listen to me. You need a spiritual healing. Matter of fact, you don't even need a healing. You're dead. You need a resurrection. You need to be called back to life. So look at the first thing. He gets this guy, I don't know how, but he gets him alone. And what does he do after that? Puts his fingers in his ear. That's interesting, isn't it? He, <laughs> they wanted Jesus to lay his hands on him. Jesus sure did, didn't he? <laughs> he put his fingers right in this guy's ear. Why would he do that? Yeah, uh, but think about it. This guy can't what? Hear. Right? So Jesus wants him to understand what's happening. So it's a personal thing that's weird. Yeah, good point. 
He could, he could probably, that's interesting, Carl. He could feel the vibration of Jesus' voice in his, in his ears. That's, that's very fascinating. I never thought about that. But again, this is all new for this guy. Then, he does, then Jesus does something even weirder. And this one's got a little, even though he's Jesus, this one's wigging me out a little bit. <laughs> and I know some of you that are super wiggy out there are really not liking this little section right here. You're like, what? No. Jesus spits, takes some of his spit, of Jesus' spit, and puts it on his tongue. Now, I'm sorry. It's the ADD in me. I got to, I'm picturing it. He had to tell the guy, stick out your tongue. He looked like you. Stick out your tongue. Do what I do. This guy sticks out his tongue. Jesus takes his spit and puts it on that man's tongue. Okay, that's a little weird. But what you have to understand is, I said, there's got to be something to that. There is. Uh, and I think it was for this man. In the first century, when Jesus lived, the rabbis taught that there was healing power in the saliva of a righteous man. And it was used in their healing ceremonies occasionally. So that was not an unknown thought. And I think this was Jesus communicating to this guy, I'm doing, I'm, I'm doing this for you and to you. I'm going to touch your tongue and now I'm touching your ears. But the, the spit on his tongue and the fingers in his ears does not heal him. Look at the next verse. says, then looking up to heaven, verse 34, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. Now, Ephatha, that's a word, Ephatha. You could, this guy probably had some lip reading ability, right? And I'm thinking a couple of things here. First of all, Jesus looks where? The first thing he does, got his fingers in his ears now, where does he look? He looks up to heaven. Why would he do that? This guy can't what? Here. Here. Jesus wants him to know where this is coming from. This is not an earthly thing that's happening to you. This is coming from above. Right? That's the first thing. But then the Bible says that Jesus does something. As he looks up to heaven, what? He sighs. What's a sigh? Yeah, y'all just sighed. Y'all are so good. We, we go on the road with you folks, I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah, it's a sigh. Now, that's how we sigh. This was more of a groan. And several times this word is used. And this comes, comes to the second point here. Um, the method of deliverance was contrary. Uh, letter B is the, um, the motivation of deliverance was Jesus' compassion. His compassion. Aren't you glad we... Have a compassionate king. Yes. This sigh is a deep one. Martin Luther is reported to have said about this quote, This sigh was not drawn from Christ on account of the single tongue and ear of this poor man, but is a common sigh over all tongues and ears, yea, over all hearts, bodies, and souls, and over all men. From Adam to his last descendant. Luther says Jesus wasn't just sighing over this guy. He was sighing over all of us. He was sighing over the brokenness of humanity. 
in the next chapter, there's going to be an occasion where Christ sighed over these people's desire to have a sign. Yep, you'll endure my sermon to get to the sign, the miracle. You'll endure the message to get to the miracle, the sermon to the sign. And, and Jesus sighs. He groans within himself. Jot this down, Romans 8.23 says that the sin causes the believer to sigh. We groan while waiting for the redemption of our bodies. There's a groaning. It's like, oh, I hate this. Second Corinthians 5, verses 2 and 4 tells that life in this present body produces groans. And I know you young people have a hard time believing it. Wait till you get my age. Ben, I was with you yesterday when I stepped in that hole, wasn't I? I stepped off our sidewalk. I had pulled up a couple of bushes, and I never filled the holes in. But the grass is growing in there, and it looks like it's level. It ain't level. And I stepped in that, and my knee went the wrong way. It bent the wrong way. And I had the presence of mind to just fall so I wouldn't destroy that knee. Now, there is something moving around in there today. <laughs> I can feel stuff moving in there. But you, you, how many of you know there's some groaning that goes along with living in this body? And the older you get, the more you're going to... Someone said, you know how old someone is by how much noise they make when they stand up? Huh? True story. There's groaning that's involved, and it tells us that in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 2 and 4. The Bible tells John, this now, Hebrews 13, 17, disobedient church members cause their elders and shepherds to groan. Don't be one of them. And the Bible tells us in James 5, 9, sin sometimes causes brothers to murmur or groan against each other. What's the point? The point is this, sin and sighing go hand in hand. Sin and sighing go hand in hand. And that word sigh there is, is, is a different kind of word. It's, it's a groaning. It's a, Jesus was, was and, and actually is attached to anger. We see that at Lazarus' grave. Jesus is angry at sin. He's angry at what sin, how sin has perverted and broken his creation that was very good. Oh. Beloved, listen to me today. We need a Savior who groans over our sins and is broken over our brokenness. And that's the God we have today. Amen? How, how blessed is it to be in Christ, to have a servant king who groans over our weaknesses and our sin? And as he groans, he looks up to heaven. And no, that deaf man couldn't hear that sigh. He could see the Lord looking up. And I bet you that sight encouraged his faith. And then in Aramaic, Jesus says, be opened. That's a command. Jesus commands not only his ears to be opened, but his tongue to be loosed. I did a little research on this. And basically, there, with some modern technology, it's pretty cool. Uh, we had a guy in our church for a while who had a cochlear implant that goes through the skull because you can't hear. Um, and, if, and he couldn't hear anything. 
and they figured it out when he was little. And he was a pretty little guy when they put those things in. And it was shocking to him to hear, but it took him a while to get his speech down, like years. And even now, a few words you can catch a little bit different, right? The fact that this guy spoke plainly, absolute miracle. He never heard anything, and now he speaks plainly. Lastly, let's look at this real quick. Let's look at the manner of deliverance. I love this. The manner of deliverance is that it's complete. The method was contrary. The motivation was the compassion of the servant king. But oh, look at the manner. It is complete. Absolutely complete. He speaks perfect Aramaic. And his hearing is restored. Look what it says, 35. Immediately, there's Mark's favorite word, right? Immediately, his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was loosed, and he spoke, how church? Plainly, clearly. Spoke plainly and clearly. By the way, I bet you, living in the isolation that guy lived in, I bet he had a lot to say. How about you? <laughs> you think that fellow had a lot to say? I bet he did. And listen to me, listen to me. When God opens your ears where you can hear him and you start speaking his word back to him, you got a lot to say. Now look what Jesus tells us him. Verse 36, then he commanded them, so probably his family was there with him, that they should tell who? No one. But the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. Verse 37, and they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. He has, by the way, and that is a fulfillment of a prophecy in Isaiah 5. He has done all things well. So he tells them, don't tell anybody. And what do they do? They tell everybody. And now he has told us through the Great Commission, okay, now it's time. Go tell everybody. And what do we do? We tell nobody. In the words of R.C. Sproul, what's wrong with you people? <laughs> Isn't that true? When's the last time you, you shared the beautiful gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the good news? Of blinded spiritual eyes being opened, deaf spiritual ears being, being uh, uh, corrected and healed. When's the last time you shared that news? But they told it anyway. Knowingly or unknowingly, that crowd was acknowledging that Jesus of Nazareth was the Creator Messiah. Not wow. They were, I love that, word, that series of words. They were astonished beyond measure. <laughs> that means they, in modern vernacular, their minds were blown. It blew their minds. This just doesn't happen. And this isn't just a rabbi or a prophet. And they were right. And by the way, today he's still doing all things well. 
I like this little poem from Samuel Medley. He says this, And since our souls have learned His love, what mercies has He made us prove? Mercies which all our praise excel, our Jesus hath done all things well. Hadn't He? Hadn't He done all things well? Jot it down. Romans 8.28 tells us that. Even in this scene of sin, and this season of sin, He still does all things well. And Paul says this, and we all know that God is synchronizing all things. That's what that word means. God is causing all things to work together for good. Doesn't say our good, says what? Just good. By the way, good and that word righteous are very closely related. Good in the eyes of God, is good for me. Do you all hear that today? That's in your best interest. He's synchronizing all things. He's causing all things to work together for something that God calls good for who? This is so important. Don't miss this. To those who love God, love Him, and are not just called, but are this is a really important little word. It's called a, it just jumped out of my mind. What you call that? The word the. Um, who are the called according to his purpose. So how do I know if I'm part of the called? You love him. Well, how do I know if I love him? You're part of the called. <laughs> Amen. Right? It's circular, but it's true. The called ones love him. Those who are not called do not love him. We're very plainly stated. We are the enemies of God until he loves us first. Amen? One day he's going to reign over the earth. I think he's doing that right now. He's going to bring righteousness and healing, prosperity, and peace. So I want to wrap it up today and just ask, say to you, so what? What are we supposed to do with all this? Number one, are you living apart from God? Honestly. Would, would, would you just stop for a moment? Are you living in isolation from the creator of the universe? Are you a practical atheist who goes to church? Are your eyes open, number two? Or are you living in ignorance, willful ignorance of God? You know about him? You know his standard of perfection, and you are working very hard to suppress all of that knowledge so that you can go on living your sinful, rebellious life against the God of the universe. Number three, do you think that you can fix yourself? Or are you ready today to admit your inability to do so? This man was so completely helpless and hopeless. He really was. And you and I are no different. We're no different. And now, you know what that does? That magnifies the goodness of God. That in our complete inability, He provides everything necessary. And then the last one, when's the last time Jesus took you aside, just you and Him? And does the idea of this spending time
with Jesus seem like a burden or a blessing? Like if I said to you right now, okay, we're going to, we're going to, in a minute I'm going to pray. We're going to sing a response hymn so we can respond to the spoken word today. And then before you eat lunch, I want you to go spend an hour with Jesus. If that strikes you as a burden and not a blessing, you might be deaf. Now, I am a little bit hungry right now. Right? So, I'm, I'm, truth in advertising. But, you know what? This, this needs to be spe- being taken aside with Jesus. If that doesn't excite you, something's broken. Something's bad broken. And we've got to wake up. We've got to repent and obey the gospel today. Amen? Let me share this in closing, this poem I... S.C. Rees says this, taken aside by Jesus to feel the touch of his hand, to rest for a while in the shadow of the rock in this weary land. Taken aside by Jesus in the loneliness, dark and drear, where no other comfort can reach me than his voice to my heart so dear. Taken aside by Jesus to be quite alone with him, to hear his wonderful tones of love mid the silence and shadows dim, taken aside by Jesus. Shall I shrink from this desert place when I hear as I never heard before and see him face to face? Don't play games today. Are you the deaf man? Or are you the healed man today? You know what the difference is? Jesus. Has he taken you aside? And does that seem to you a blessing or a burden? Oh, that we would believe the gospel, embrace it today, and exalt our King. Amen? Good word for us to ponder and chew on today. Just stand with me. Our musicians are going to come, but I'm going to pray. They're going to lead us in our hymn of the month. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask you to respond in the prayer. Even before the singing starts today, I want you to respond to what you have heard. I want you to ask yourself, ask the Lord to give you the answers to the hard questions today. I want you to praise Him for His goodness as His as it is magnified through our inability to do anything to fix ourselves. Father, we come to you today thanking you for the good news of the gospel of the kingdom, the kingdom gospel, which, which implores us to believe, repent, and to follow this servant king. And how is your goodness magnified to us today as we look at this man in Mark's gospel? who was so uninformed, he was so isolated. He had so much he had nothing but inability to help himself. Couldn't speak, couldn't hear. And you did something very personal. Very personal. You literally shared yourself with him. And when you did, he was changed forever. I guess what I'm asking, Lord, is that you do that for us today. Please. 
share yourself with us even now as we sing your praises in Jesus' name.